Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 40. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Thomas 40 Ounces to Freedom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. I should be drinking a 40 right now, but I'm not. I'm drinking vodka right now. So You you drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's relative, you know. Joining us tonight is our, our first ever, back by popular demand, guest emeritus, uh, I am the Lord, Lawrence Harmon. What's up, guys? I am impressed by Lawrence's drinking. I just I want to make that <laughs> the, that statement right now in front of everybody. Oh, you saw my tweet Saturday? I, I did. I absolutely <laughs> did. Look, man, I tried as hard as I could to lose in that Digital League and still went 4-1. I don't understand it. Something's and wrong with that format. There was another one about tequila and breakfast cereal a while back. I um, I have to give you props for that one, too. I don't think I've ever done that. That's that's a bit too aggressive for me. Tequila, anything. I got respect for that because I can't handle that shit anymore. Oh, I love tequila. I'm on my Jameson again this week. I guess I'm just a, a old alcoholic now. I just gotta <laughs> accept it. This is my life now. I drink Jamo and coffee. So <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. Keeping it keto. <laughs> <laughs> For for the health benefits, strictly for the health benefits. Strictly, yeah, you know, looking out for myself. We got a, uh, we got probably more news this week than we've ever had. This was like one of the fucking craziest weeks. Like every time I put down my phone, four hours later, it'd be like a whole new fucking week had happened. So we got we got I don't know a hundred things we could talk about. Uh, Tom, do you do you play any magic this weekend? I didn't. I've been getting ready for the Leaving a Legacy tournament, but I. I've just had a bunch of other stuff to do, so I have not played. I've thought about stuff a lot, but I have not sleeved anything up. Word. I uh, I got this was an incredible weekend in the Boston slash Metro West area. We had the Cafe Dance had like a gathering at Jack's Abbey on Saturday morning, and then the Watertown Elementals had a gathering here. Our boy Steve Hartford was there on a Saturday afternoon. And then on Sunday, I golfed with our, our buddy DJ, forget of the meta DJ. And uh, then we played old school at Raps. So there was like three distinct groups of, of old school events this weekend. So fuck with that, Beast of the Bay. Nice. Yeah, Boston, we're, we're, we're getting it up, man. We, uh, we actually played some Legacy, too. I played with our boy Ryan Lesko, who I saw was going at you on Twitter, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, I mean... He clarified what he said, um, but we can talk about that later once we get that whole portion of the show. Uh, I just I just wanted to body Ryan Lesko right now. <laughs> uh, I'm ready, man. My body is ready. Let him hey, be Ryan. Ryan, it's 2019 rugged over still isn't playable. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think I think uh, Daryl Ayers has a list that's actually pretty decent right now. What um, are his threats? He cut all the mongooses, so it just plays Delver, Goyf, and Hooting Mandrels. Um, a buddy and I, or actually Eric Virgo and I, ran it through a league in 4 1, uh, and the list felt pretty solid. Um, oh, no nice. mongoose just doesn't feel that playable, but Hooting Mandrels being able to run through a true name's face is pretty nice. I totally agree with that. And were there any true names in that list or no? I don't remember i think okay. the most recent list may have some 
but I, I don't quite recall off the top of my head. Isn't Daryl Ayers the dude who played Kurt Apes in Top 8 at SCG? Or is that not? Uh, he won an SCG with Kurt Apes and Kurt <laughs> on his deck. It's fucking beautiful. I love that. I, I always think of him when I see Kurt Ape. Yeah, man. I've been... I So I live like 40 minutes from the Cincinnati Zoo. And I've been meaning to like buy Kurt Apes and take them to the zoo to get scammed. Oh, rest in peace. Man. Did you see that single Elon Musk put out? I heard about it. Uh, there's been a lot of weird shit going on. So, like, there's been a lot of stuff that's just been like, oh, that's obviously a joke. And then it's not a joke. And you're just like, Jim Carrey is beefing with Mussolini's granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, what world do we live in where that's a thing that's happening? Dude, it's like so. April Fool's Day has lost its, its whole, like appeal like you know how there's like not the onion or like you know the onions jumped a shark or whatever because the news is so fucking wild like nothing can get you anymore for april fools because reality yeah. is so fucking weird already it's just like it yeah basically it's just like how do you top that jim carrey beef with Mussolini's grand <laughs> we're like not how, how do you how do you come up with something more ridiculous than that you just don't we're in the upside down or some shit like I don't know. Tom Tom might know Voldemort or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, something like that. <laughs> uh, we have we have so much stuff to talk about today. This weekend we have the Leaving a Legacy open and we just started to get the list of raffle prizes that we're giving away for the food drive. So to give everybody a heads up, there's going to be some unlimited signed Chris Rush bolts some signed brainstorms, some of the old collector's boxes that Wizards sold in the 90s. Provided by who? Provided by? Provided by the dead format. By ours truly, Tom Smiley, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's all for charity. Dude, that box is sick, though. It's like one of those original old boxes. And it's it's in, like, mint condition. I just, I've had it sitting on my bookcase forever, and I feel like if we can raise some money for... The food pantry and what was the charity that we've been giving all the cash to? I forget. <laughs> I was just putting it under Jerry's mattress. No, well, it's uh, he it's told the me one that the old school people use. made the donation to. Oh yeah, it's uh, room I to don't grow. Know. Yes, thank you. Okay, yeah. So um, we're not only going to be taking cans as raffle entries, we're also going to be taking cash donations for room to grow. So if you forget to raid your parents pantry for for cans to get raffle tickets we'll be taking cash donations as well bro dj had his trunk full of shit when, when we were golfing we appreciate everything and the last time we did this it was it was a resounding success so hopefully we can get everybody to pitch in and and get as good of a result as we had last time i feel like i might have jumped you though were you going to more prizes after that no, well, I know that I know that you and Pat were going to donate the beautiful Grand Prix Gites. I actually oh, yeah. don't. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that word. Is it Jit Gite? It's Gite. Gite. Okay, I learned something new today. Um, I, I thought it was Jute, so I don't know. Yeah, it is definitely. It is definitely <laughs> played, not that. You played how much Stoneblade, Tom? I, I, I don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to say it. I just know it gets fucking counters and it does some shit. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm just going to put in this card. Your deck can't beat. Just 
Just yep. slap it on a true name. Let's go. There's two <laughs> cards that your deck can't beat. I, I love the fact that Legacy is in like a... Tr- I, I read this on Twitter. I don't know who to contribute it to, but that Legacy is going back to another true name arms race. I was just like, I that fucking... I feel it. It was... There you go. It was you. Oh my god. I hate true names arms race. Well, like... So Legacy is going to a true names arms race, but this time around, the best answer for true name isn't other true name decks. Like the last time this happened... Uh, Miracles wasn't as established, and like you didn't necessarily have other fair decks that could go over the top of like Stone Blade or whatever. But now there's just like a bunch of like two color Delver decks with basic lands and like two to three color Stone Blade decks. So like before we had like four color Stone Blade just inbreeding to beat itself, and now it's just like yeah man, um, Terminus you. <laughs> just like oh whoa, can't beat that. Yeah, Terminus pretty, is still a card. However, good. so is Palace Jailer. Oh my god, that card is egregious. <laughs> we have oh. a new weapon. A new weapon to fight the Miracles Pilots. We have the I technology. Just, I Monarch mechanic, emblems, just think, resources that just like generate value that players can't interact with is just such a miserable thing and like it made sense before when it was on Planeswalkers. She's like, if you're Planeswalker Ultimate, yeah, you should be able to win. But when it's just like, oh, did I get to four mana? Sick. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if you watched any of the coverage of SCG Columbus, but, like, I was watching uh, parts of Day 2 coverage while I was playing the Legacy Quarterly. And there were so many matches on camera where it was, like, very interesting and, you know, players were jogging for position and all of a sudden some guy would tap two planes and some other mana sources put a palace jailer into play and then the game was just over and it's just like just ugh. Ugh. so i was I lo- just i love it i was just listening to uh every so often eternal and uh so- <laughs> somebody said somebody said that uh putting a palace jailer into play is like sudden death and i thought that that was fucking brilliant that's exactly what it feels like. Like when that palace jailer hits the table off a vial or however it comes in, I'll be playing as Maverick or something. It's like, okay, do you have a snap to ambush Viper right now? You know, do you have some sort of crazy shit like a pulse of Marasa to, to put a Baleful Strix into play and swing back? Because if you can't, you ha- you have like two turns to steal that thing back. And if you can't do it, you're fucking buried, you know? It's, it's I mean, just it's, like sudden It's death. the white Jace the Mind Sculptor, right? Yeah, I guess like, so. That's you don't good. get... Yeah. You don't get, like, the flexibility, but you get to eat a random creature. You probably just get to stay ahead on board, and then, like, as you're drawing cards, it's hard for your opponent to actually catch up. And then, like, the mechanic, instead of being, like, oh, you have to kill this three-loyalty Planeswalker, which you can do with, like, you know, one a combat step or a lightning bolt or whatever, is you have to get through a wall of creatures to win, which is... You know, we've already seen Jace is, like, hard to manage, and then now it's just, like, Palace Jailer is, like, arguably harder to answer than Jace, because you can't, killing the card... You can't card... Pyroblast the Monarch. Right, you can't, like, Pyroblast or Council's Judgment, like, the Palace Jailer, and it's, it's like, arguably harder to answer than Jace. It's kind of ridiculous. It really is, because you can't pierce it, you can't Red Blast it, you know, all these things that typically work against it, and then when you add into the equation... Aether Vial specifically, but then also stuff like Cavern. You know, there's there's just a lot of shit going on that makes it uninteractable sometimes. And it, it really can just bury you like that. 
Yeah, it's messed up. So it is. to 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 keep this train moving. <laughs> are we gonna see more legacy videos? Oh, um, you mean from Andrea Minigucci? Of course. <laughs> did did you all get a chance to watch the Mythic Invitational? Because I I got to check out a little bit of it, and it was great. So I think everything about it was great except for the format. Well, I think I think for viewers, right? Maybe maybe people who are watching weren't as ingrained into magic as you and I are. And seeing different decks and different matchups, I don't want to say like Twitch viewers' attention span is garbage, but having it switch more often instead of watching like a best of three with the same matchups happening was probably a little bit more exciting too yeah I, I i don't disagree i actually had a long lengthy conversation with a friend about this uh the issue is just like you you run into those situations where there are the matches where there are so few cards that matter so like maybe it's just a fundamental fundamental issue of like having a playable control deck in this particular format because like if there's a playable control deck that's good against everything but itself or like, you know, the mirror is a coin toss of like, did I draw Searcher's Cantha? Did I draw more of my Chemister's Insights or whatever? Players are just going to go, yeah, I'm just going to coin flip the mirror and just crush everything else. But then you end up in a situation where you have a bunch of mirrors that end up just becoming these like disgusting like slogs of like the commentator sitting there. And it's like, and uh, yeah, Mangucci drew another dead card and... Oh, somebody drew a chemistry's insight. They can cast it, and then they can bend one of these thirty removal spells they have. And it's just like, it's. I, I'm sure it kills the entertainment value for newer players because, like, newer players don't actually like watching control mechanics. No, they want to see. They want to see the little white and little red creatures going in because that's look, something that they understand what's happening. They want to see the dick punching contests, right? They want to see haymakers <laughs> getting thrown, but like. Yeah, we got some hype moments, like the Matt Nast's Unmoored Ego play. Did you see that? I did not. I think it was the second day. Okay. Uh, it may have been the first day. I can't remember. Basically, Seth Manfield is infinitely ahead, but he's at the point where he has a Teferi in play and two Teferi, or a Teferi in his deck and a Teferi in his hand, and he's just looping Teferis. Uh, and Matt Nast, he has a Teferi emblem as well. So he's looping Teferis and just eating Matt Nast's mana base. And then Matt Nass is able to set up a line where he's able to go um, whatever the Diabolic Tutor is that can get a card from your deck or sideboard uh, into Unmoored Ego. And then he's able to name Teferi because he knows his opponent has no relevant cards other than Teferi. And because he has one Teferi in hand and one in... Or because Seth had one Teferi in hand and one in his deck, uh, they're both gone. And Unmoored Ego forces you to draw a card if... Um, they successfully hit a card from your hand. So he just, like, immediately decks Seth Manfield and just wins the game from, like, a quote-unquote unwinnables position and was, like, really sweet to watch. But it was also just a byproduct of, like, the format being terrible and both players' hands were, like, five removal spells. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch uh, any of this, actually not even a single minute, uh, because I was kind of busy this weekend, and... I don't know. It, it just, uh, I haven't played any arena or anything. So I heard Dave Williams was real good on coverage. Like, uh, was that, was that your impression or? Uh, him and Marshall were like, they weren't necessarily bickering, but they were kind of bickering. 
<clears throat> I don't I don't know how to put it. Um, I like that. Like they would, they didn't really jive well together necessarily. Um, okay. And it was it was noticeable. Uh, Dave, <laughs> like they're both obviously good at their jobs, but I don't think they had good chemistry. If that makes sense. Interesting. So we got a we got a feud brewing. Is what you're saying? Um, not necessarily a feud. It was just like. They just didn't play off of each other that well. Like, and that just happens, right? Like, sometimes you just have a coverage team that doesn't jive as well. Um, sometimes you have a podcast that that happens too. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the A team commentary then? Uh, God, I don't know. I, a lot, I had a lot of it muted because I was playing the Legacy Quarterly. So, like, when I was listening with audio, it, it was often. Gotcha. You know, Dave and whoever, like, it, there was just kind of, I didn't, I wasn't listening with audio enough to really per- particularly, like, feel as if one coverage team stood out. Um, actually, you know what, Day9 and Kibler were very good, but they're both very good at their jobs, and they're both very enthusiastic people, so, like, it was, it was an easy match to make, and everything just kind of worked for them yeah so 125,000 viewers was the the line that i saw from like i don't know saffron olive or something like what the fuck is that right like that's like that's, that's more the than second double. the that's second most streamed game at the time and not only did it break that mark on twitch the war of the spark trailer was like the second most trending video on youtube when it got dropped and it had over five million views in a day. And that was that was with your your favorite Lincoln Park, right? Well, the the fact that they actually paid to to license that song <laughs> and how well it actually worked with that animation, Wizards is we shit on them a lot, but they really stepped their game up. Oh yeah. They the the song kind of pulled me out of the trailer a bit. Because I was like, wait, wait a second. But but it was a good cover. Like, It was just one of those things that for me personally, I was just like, eh, eh. I, I see what you're going for. I, I, I like it, but eh. I, um, I thought it worked. I'm, I'm disappointed that they, they used the $15,000 to license that song and dropped it from the prize pool in Niagara. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh. I thought uh I thought they figured sorted that out and Channel Five was like no we didn't they did the, somebody made it made a quote unquote typo Jerry uh, got when... some sassy Mori Povich shit going on though did you see that I I did he was sassing CFB events on Twitter <laughs> that sounds like Jerry he's not the hero we want but he's the one we deserve right oh yeah it was fucking it was it was beautiful I laughed my ass off it was uh you know. Thank God these people go to bat for us, though, right? Like, I don't know, Bob, I think, retweeted it first, and then and then Jerry. But, like, they, they were – I think that they really were going to try to pull it to 35K, which we were – we assumed it was going to be at 35K, and the only reason some of us are going is because it's 50K, right? Uh, possibly. I think going to GP is because the price payout is, like, kind of loose, but I think it is unethical to, like, drop the price payout of a GP. 
Um, yeah, that's certainly like, true. Like no, two weeks agree. before it happens. Right? I, I definitely would have gone even if it was the 35k because I can go and it's legacy. But uh, I think Channel Fireball, they, they handled it fine after they made that mistake. So so what's your... Uh, l- let's get uh, prices right going for the attendance of Niagara. Oh, in terms of like decks? No, no, no. Just just the overall number of people there. I think it's going to be a thousand. I think we we had this conversation before. Lawrence, mm. what do you got? Um, yeah, a thousand does sound reasonable. Uh, the issue with Niagara is it's like Easter weekend, so like a lot of legacy nerds have families and tend to be like occupied during holidays, which is kind of a kick in the dick because they keep scheduling legacy gps on holidays or like legacy events on holidays that people need to spend with their families per se if they have those obligations um it's definitely not going to be like as low as 500 or something but i don't see it breaking 1500 but if it does that would be sweet yeah i think i'm gonna go with one dollar here i'm gonna take the i'm gonna take the under on a thousand and see how it goes but it does seem like just like dipping my toe in the water talking to people or whatever it seems like a lot of people weren't gonna go but then sucked it up at the last minute and are, are planning some shit now so are both of you going out to niagara i am and Ian is trying to make it work do you think you're gonna be able to i'm like i'm, I'm closing in on 90 percent right now wonderful what about you lawrence so, like, my car needs a new fuel injection pump, so I'm kind of, like, in a weird spot where I need to be saving up money, but one of my friends, like, hit me up yesterday and was like, I kind of want to drive out to Niagara to play EDH all day, and, <laughs> you know, that's just his thing. He loves EDH, so, you know, I'm not going to knock him, like, play Magic how you have fun, right? Yeah. Um, but another friend may be able to provide, like, room for free, so it's kind of just a matter of, like do I want to spend the money on entry slash food and stuff for the weekend slash should I do that? And the answer is probably not, but will I? Oh. I, I don't know. Oh, I, you gotta I want do to it. Come. We'll see. Bro, just, just uh, day two, top 64 or whatever, get, you know, get that fuel injector paid for. Yeah, the other thing is like we'd both be working Friday and then we'd be leaving Ohio at like 6 p.m., and then driving to Niagara Falls and arriving at like midnight, and I'd be playing the GP on no buys because I play like almost no paper magic, so I have like six hundred planeswalker points. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I think we're all we're all in the same boat. Indeed. So, so it's kind of like, oh man, this sounds like it could either be like a really miserable trip or just a really sweet trip. Uh, but I hate driving so much. I'm not big on my square state geometry, so I don't know like how far that drive is. For me, it's yeah. like six. Six hours, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ohio is like <laughs> Ohio is technically Midwest, but we're like offset to the east pretty hard. But it's still it's still a bit of a drive. So you'll yeah. actually update in my life is my my wife's first choice now for her fellowship is Cleveland. Is that close to you? Uh, Cleveland's about four hours north. Oh fuck! <laughs> All right, yeah. never, never mind. Yeah, I think I think it's the Cleveland Clinic is is what it's called. But she she went out there this past weekend, really liked it. So I don't know if there's legacy in Cleveland or what. But 
Well, there is in Columbus, I think, or outside of it. Is Columbus so, near Cleveland? No, Columbus is about three hours south. So Columbus is about um, <clears throat> yeah, forty-five to an hour northeast of me. Um, I know they have like weekly legacy. Um, I don't know anything about the Cleveland scene. I think there's where's a... where's Dayton. So Dayton is about forty minutes to an hour north of Cincinnati. Okay. So like so like the way Ohio works is like you have North Ohio, which is like Ohio, and then as you start going south, you just hit a bunch of corn and soybeans. And then you hit a portion of Ohio that's like basically Indiana, and then you hit another portion that's basically Kentucky. And where I live is like where basically Indiana and basically Kentucky. Man, that that sucks. I thought I would be near Columbus if I were no. near Cleveland. No, so I guess Cleveland. I'm pulling I'm still pulling for Seattle then. Um I think there is a store near Cleveland that a guy I know goes to. I think he lives somewhere around there that does like legacy monthlies or something like that. Uh, okay. And I can find out more info about that if you guys end up going out there. But I'm not 100% sure. I kind of don't pay attention to what's going on legacy wise. And like basically outside of like Cincinnati and Columbus, I, I don't really pay too much attention. I know Team Serious is a. I think they're in like the Michigan area, which will be, I think you're relatively close to when you're in Cleveland. I could be wrong. Oh, uh, Jesus. But like they, I know they do like mostly vintage, but they think they do some vintage slash legacy. So, yeah, I know. think they would be more than happy to talk to you Ian, after <laughs> your beautiful email to the So Many Insane Plays podcast. I think that they're, they'd welcome you with open arms. So this morning I friended uh, Kevin Noel Crone on uh, Twitter, followed him and did not get a follow back. So we're Rip. still, we still got radio silence now, two weeks into this uh, saga. You got to get that Twitter club, man. Yeah. I I don't know. I think, uh, I think we're being uh, ostracized at this point. I think I've dug our, our grave. Have you yeah, considered yes, you getting altered data power? Yeah, I, I got to hit up Mangu, I guess, right? Oh, man. You just got to you gotta not be poor. That's, that's probably a good start getting into the vintage community. That would help. That's, yeah. <laughs> that was an unnecessary dagger. Like, <laughs> you know, the vintage community is generally pretty cool. But, you know, we got to get got to get those daggers in, right? Oh, hell yeah. And I should say, uh, for the record, I met uh, Roland Chang. I'd never met Roland before. But he came to our old school gathering at, at Moogie's last Wednesday with uh, Rich Shea because I guess they're, they're buddies and uh, Roland was one of the coolest dudes I've ever met in like the magic scene, like just super, super nice guy. Just like you're describing really is like, you know, go out of your way for other people, help out, whatever. And obviously we know Rich is like that, you know, friend of our podcast, Rich Shea, uh, yeah. the doctor. And, you know, it, it's really like people just want people to play with, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people's site, um, cost is the reason they don't get into like legacy slash vintage and my rebuttal is that i've literally never owned a full legacy deck and i've never had to um wow yeah to this, I, to this day no yeah i've literally never had to technically i owned like blue white miracles in full but i sold my tundras okay. um but like at the time i was playing blue white red so it's a matter of semantics but like i've never actually had to own a full legacy deck to play a 75 like if i want to play a legacy deck i can find someone to loan me the stuff like almost regardless of what the deck is like 
uh, one of the running jokes is like at one point in Dayton, you could like walk into F and M and there'd be five tabernacles in the room, and that wasn't hyperbolic. There would just be five guys playing lambs at like a thirty person F and M. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing, and that's that's what we have to do to sustain ourselves, right? Yeah, definitely. Like cards aren't worth anything if people aren't playing them, right? So I made these show notes for today. And I was I was uh, looking, I was trying to pick the best five spoilers. And when I shared the show notes, I got a resounding boo for for a spoiler podcast, which I, I completely agree with because you guys made the point that everybody's going to be talking about the same stuff, right, with these cards. We don't have like mm-hmm. a full spoiler. So anything that we talk about at this point in time can can be invalidated by the next card that gets spoiled or whatever, you know? Like, it's right. not like we're talking about a static thing, like a format that will exist at this point in time. So we're only going to talk about a couple cards. So they started on the on the pack stream, I believe. They started spoiling cards over this weekend, right? One of the cards that I think piqued everybody's interest, right? Liliana's Triumph. Now, what does Liliana's Triumph do? Because we need to make sure in our podcasts that we actually <laughs> read out what the new cards do. Because... We had a we had a five star review on iTunes, but the lovely person, the actual lovely person who sent us the five star review, was like, "Please, please <laughs> tell us what the cards do." When we had our when we had our set review podcast, there were a few cards that we didn't even say what the name of the card was. So we definitely need to tell people what Liliana's Triumph does. It is a strictly new, strictly better. Oh my god! Fuck you, Tom. I knew, I knew this would get you going, Lawrence. Oh my god! For those of you, uh, for everyone listening, I put a note in the show notes about strictly better because I hate that term so much. All right. Um, so what what does it do? Uh, it says each opponent sacrifices a creature. If you control a Liliana Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. It's like. The card's sweet for EDH because, like, obviously Edict's effects are pretty heinous when there's, like, four players in a game, right? Um, and a lot of people are saying that it's a, quote-unquote, strictly better version of Diabolic Edict. But I think a lot of players suck at evaluating cards, and the process that they use is, like, intrinsically flawed. A lot of people, like, only think of the, like, best-case scenarios when you evaluate a card. And, I like, the process I personally use is, like, I think of the worst case scenarios for the card, I think of the best case scenarios, and I think about what the card does on average. So, like, people are obviously going to compare this to Diabolic Edict. And, like, on average, both cards will be the same, right? Whereas, like, the upside is Liliana's Triumph can, you know, if you're playing, like, something like Grixis Control, you're probably going to have Liliana's in your deck, so you're going to get that sweet discard value. But there is also to consider that, like, all of the playable Liliana's aggressively... Um, mitigate your opponent's resources so maybe that discard isn't relevant but that's that's whatever right well it is instant though so you can draw step it which is nice yeah that is kind of hot um and then like the downside this card also gets around Leyline of sanctity which i don't think is relevant in legacy and leovold um, yeah and i think is probably the most relevant for legacy right i don't even think leovold's a relevant card yes to it is technically a relevant like interaction, right? But like when people say strictly better, uh, it's kind of speaking in terms of like this is better in every situation possible. But in reality, like this card is conditionally better, right? 
like it, like I said, if you're playing Grixis Control, you probably want this card because you know if you get Leyline of Stinky Feet, maybe something that is relevant to you, or you're going to have Liliana's in your deck. But if you're playing like Grixis Delver, this card is going to be worse for you because you don't care about Leyline of Sanctity. The labeled thing is like good, cool, but it's not backbreaking. But like a situation that comes up, a semi-relevant or enough of a, uh, it comes up enough that you're willing to like select a card for this reason is like playing against like Thalia plus Gta or playing against like you know attacking into a Grizzlebrand against Black Red Reanimator yeah. or something like or some situation where there is a life linking creature where you need to attack them, they go to blocks, and then you eat it yourself to eat the creature that is uh, being blocked by the lifelinker to kill your opponent. And it's one of those situations of, like, this, like, not every deck that plays Diabolic Edict is just going to outright replace Diabolic Edict with this card. But the ones that don't care about, like, that situation of having to, like, win through lifelinkers or whatever, you know, you know, the decks that actually can go over the top of those effects will probably do so. And, um, yeah, that's kind of just how I feel about this card. Like, it's a good card, obviously. Well, I, I kind of hate the card Diabolic Edict because I think it's kind of actually medium. And um, it's contextually good in Legacy because there's Merit Lages, but there's a lot of game states where the card is uh, really... Um, it trades for a strict some amount of time, right? Diabolic eating a bird of paradise away makes you just regret a lot of life decisions, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, just those kind of situations. But because Merit Lage and True Name exists, it's like a card that does a specific effect that you need in Legacy that people are going to play it. We're not going to play it. They have to play it. Like... People aren't playing edicts because they want to. They're playing them because they have to. And that's, like, a very clear distinction that we should make. Um, because if, say, like, Merit Lage wasn't a thing in the format, people would play other answers to True Name, right? Or they would just find other ways to mitigate True Name. Uh, you can race that card. You can do X, Y, and Z to that card. Yeah, and speaking to this arms race you were talking about before, it seems like the Delver decks are looking at Volcanic Island and Pyroblast. And the Blade decks are looking at Underground Sea and Zealous Persecution, right? Like, Diabolic Edict is not anyone's first choice for answering a true name. Like, you're thinking about cards like Marsh Casualties. You're thinking about cards like Blessed Alliance. Obviously, Power Blast and Zealous Persecution are great cards. But, like, right. Edict is, like, is a very sloppy hit, right? Yeah, like, a lot of decks are going wider now. There's a lot of young Pyromancers, etc. With regards to, like, the Delver deck, like, Rick's Delver was sweet for a couple weeks, and I was playing a lot of it. But now these colored Delver decks are showing up and, like, you know, their wastelands are significantly better than your wastelands because they get to play basic lands for free. Whereas, like, the basic island in Grixis Delver isn't free and it's often just, like, a detriment to your mana most of the time. Um, which, this comes up in, like, the wasteland mirrors where, like, people think basic lands trump wasteland, which is correct if you're playing a two-color deck that can operate off of those basics. Exactly. But if you're playing a three-color deck, uh, if you go, like, you know, like, against, like, Checkpile or, like, Grixis Control, when they go, like, Island and then you go, like, Underground Sea Baleful Strix or, like, Badlands Baleful Strix, you just Wasteland their Badlands or their Land and they're cut off of a color. So, like, you're not completely Wastelanding someone out of the game and you don't get the satisfaction of them having no lands. 
but you have a situation where you can completely keep someone off of a color that's relevant to the game. And that's the issue with like the basic island in Grits Delver. That basic island was always so interesting to me because when I played the deck, I, I really wanted it. But then you're like, man, if I actually fetch this, if I like pull the trigger on fetching this because I can't get wasted, then I'm, I have a fork bolt and an edict or whatever in my hand and I'm two land drops off of deploying these cards, right? So, right, exactly. Like, how does right. this game have to go where I can actually end up casting all the cards in my hand? Like, is this even worth it, right? Right. It's very, and, very interesting. And often so, the opportunity cost isn't worth it. It's better to just go like, yeah, I'm my deck is going to lose to Blood Moon as opposed to playing a singular basic island to win against Blood And it's, Moon. it's like, not like the island's getting you out of it anyway, right? Right. Like, the, the whole thing with the basic island in Grit was that it it's good in turns one through, like, where you're just trying to have trying to have mana but as you get later and later into the game the the quantity of lands you have less matters less whereas the, the actual colors of mana you have starts to matter more for things like marsh casualties or you know what have you sequences where you go like pyromancer bolt or like you know whatever it becomes yeah. relevant so like the basic island slowly converts into a base of waste at a at a point and it's just kind of terrible but yeah yeah i i really wondered about that because i would like include it and then i would hate it and cut it and then i would include it again because i'd get like trophied or something and just be pissed at myself it yeah, was it was I, interesting when i picked up grixis delver again i just like copied some dudes list and made a few tweaks like i ran three true name over uh three angler or whatever and the list had Marsh Casualties and Liliana the Last Hope in it, and it had four Underground Deep. And, like, that was fine, but the deck was primarily blue-red. So I, like, switched over to, like, I cut the Lily, cut the Marsh Casualties, and ran a list that ran four Volcanic Islands. And I was liking that a lot better because, like, the fourth Volk was more relevant for, you know, the density of red spells on my deck as opposed to, like, having these random Haymaker, like, double black spells. His black is just, like, a terrible splash color because, like, there was an old article that someone wrote, I think on the Mothership, where they kind of went into an analysis about how black has, like, the highest density of double, like, colored spells compared Absolutely, to the other colors. Yeah. And, um, like, black is just a terrible splash color, and it's, like, kind of forces itself into being, like, a base color. But, um, Anyway, what I'm getting at is that, like, I just found four Volcanic Islands to be better, or, like, if you don't own the fourth Volcanic Island, just run, like, an additional effect land over... Yeah, for sure. So, I think the other spoiler card that we kind of have to talk about, we're kind of obligated to because of the potential that it could impact the format, is uh, Teferi the, the Time Bender or Time Traveler or something like that. Yeah. Teferi the... I'll, I'll, I'll read it for our listeners who might be driving or whatever they're doing. It's one blue-white for a Teferi Planeswalker. And so the Planeswalkers in this set, there's like 30 of them. And they're basically enchantments with life totals and activated abilities. They, they have like a static effect on the game. So, so this particular uh, the Planeswalker, this Teferi... The, the static ability is almost like a city of solitude 
So it's each opponent can't cast spell or each opponent can cast spells only any time they could cast a sorcery. So that's even more than City of Solitude, really, because what that's saying is even on their turn, they can't get into a counter war, right? Well, it's the Fairy of Mage of Zalfir effect, right? So like uh it impacts things like Cascade or whatever, because like Teferi Mage of Zalfir randomly just messes up Cascade. Oh Jesus Christ, yeah. And what is this card you're saying? Teferi, the, the ma- mage of Zalafir? Yeah, it's uh, the first... Triple blue, two creature. Yeah, it's the first Teferi card. It's okay. uh, before triple blue, two uh, flash creature. And then it said, uh, it has the, each of your opponents can't cast spells uh, at non-sorcery speed. But it also says all of your creatures mean flash. And it was played in, like, extended teachings. Because it says... All like all of your creatures gain flash, or it has a really weird wording. So what it did is it also gave the creatures in your deck flash. So you could like go mystical teachings, get to fairy, mystical teachings, get mystical teachings, play to fairy, mystical teachings for grave titan, and then play a grave titan with flash because of how the card was worded. What was this omniscience or some shit? Where are you getting this mana from? Uh. You would do this over the course of multiple turns. It was a control. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it was just like, like a... at the end step or something. No, no, no. It was just like a super grindy control deck. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, like, this card is... It's cool. Um, so then the the plus one, we should finish reading. The plus one is uh, until the end... Until your next turn, you can cast sorceries as though they had flash. And... Now that... For the shells that I have been thinking about this card in... That doesn't seem super relevant. Well, so I think about Esper, obviously, because I've been playing it, and like Thoughtseize in response to Show and Tell or whatever, you know, j- just like being able to turn on the instant ability of your potentially dead late game discard does seem like something because it's just like it's the only tick up this Planeswalker has, right? So it's just kind of like the ability, it's almost like another static ability of this Planeswalker, right? If for like the turns it's just hanging out, this is just what it does. So I think you have to be doing something like, you know, have discard for it to be relevant, right? I think um, the two relevant interactions are draw step thoughtsies that's uncounterable that your opponent can't just like brainstorm in response to, which is pretty hot to think about, to be honest. Uh, And then like the option that like if you're playing miracles, a lot of your play patterns are predicated on like whatever read you have. So, like, you may ponder, like, Portent or whatever based on what your opponent, what you think your opponent has. But if you, like, play to Fairy plus it past turn, you get to just, like, sit there with, like, your ponders or whatever. And, like, the only thing that doesn't matter is whether or not you hit a land drop. So you can, like, now ponder into Terminus on your opponent's turn, which kind of, like, increases the number of random outs you have to certain game states. Yeah, ponder, preordain, Portent, that sort of thing. It do- It does seem interesting with that yeah i i wasn't thinking about it from the esper side i was really thinking about how like it's mostly going to make your ponders have flash yeah yeah basically and i guess council's judgment right it would be the other card that that's kind of relevant to that if you're sticking in blue white yeah flash council's judgment could be pretty obnoxious but the minus three on this card is return up to one target artifact creature or enchantment to its owner's hand and draw a card so this has four loyalty i'm not sure if i said that or not but 
one thing that that does appeal to me about this card is it's a main deck answer to chalice which is something like it's the abrupt decay problem that we've been talking about how you you don't want to be main decking disenchant or like a braid or whatever you know you do that begrudgingly this is a card that maybe you want to be playing that can also in a pinch get rid of a chalice right and it's not really getting rid of it though that's the problem so like my thoughts on this card keep shifting. Uh, at first I looked at it and I was like, oh, that seems pretty good. And then like I, I looked at it again and I was like, maybe this card is nuts after I started to think about like various interactions and people mention things like uh, Vintage Paradoxical Outcome didn't want this card because the like City of Solitude mode is pretty nuts for their deck. And this card is also just like an answer that they can play for Null Rod, Stony Silence. Um, what's the other card? uh arcane laboratory effects like that yeah. so it like it counters both like counter spells and permanent based hate or it rule, just eats... rule of law lavinia all that shit right or it just like eats a red blast and you're fine with that but within the context of legacy i think that like one this card doesn't actually accrue value over multiple turns you're still down a card uh, if you minus on something, it's, like, cool because you get to, like, draw a card and you get to stay card neutral, but it's still, like, a three-mana Jace minus, and it it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, like, you're, you're card neutral temporarily, right? Like, if they replay that Chalice or they replay whatever card you just bounced, you still need to find an answer for it. And there's kind of this phenomenon where, like, Control players hate losing control mirrors because it makes them feel dumb. And, like, winning <laughs> control mirrors makes you feel smart. So, like, a lot of control players tend to over-evaluate cards that are, like, very good in control mirrors, <clears throat> specifically. And this card is nuts in control mirrors because it lets you play your... Like, be able to play your sorcery... Like, it lets you just do exactly draw go. You're, like, draw oh, plus yeah. like a fairy go oh you did a thing hold on in response i'm gonna ponder right like let me find my relevant thing cool hit you with the answer or whatever um it it kind of like lets you emulate the whole sensei's divining top of like spin top and respond to your effect fetch spin top again find whatever answer you need i need go from there and then like the minus I think is better in vintage than legacy. Uh, I think this card could be a sweet like one to two of maybe, and like maybe a miracles or stone blade sideboard. But it's I think where it will shine is um, control mirrors or like blue white mirrors. But like in terms of being good against like the rest of the format, I don't really see what this does. Uh, like, the casting sorceries, the splash, it, it, it does force your opponent into awkward play patterns, and that could be kind of cool. But you're still down a card. Like, that's that's still a cost. Um, the bounce thing is sweet, uh, but this is still a red blastable effect, which is, like, kind of bad post-board, or, you know, is this more efficient than Council's Judgment? Like, you kind of get into the whole discussion of opportunity cost versus like what the card does. So it's it's kind of a situation like I mentioned before where you should evaluate a card by like best case scenario, worst case scenario, and what it does on average. 
And like what this card does on average is like let you do cute things on your opponent's turn to maybe some benefits. Uh, it's hard to actually measure what that benefit is without actually trying the card. And then like the worst case scenario is that you spend three mana to like bounce your opponent's spell and maybe maybe like a lightning bolt or another combat step from a random creature. Uh, and then like obviously the nuts is like you resolve this in a control mirror and then your opponent just eats shit and dies because yeah it's, it's so easy to think of like these amazing situations with this card and i as soon as i saw it i was like oh god playing against ant playing against miracles playing against blah 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 you know you just playing against the esper mirror like this card can be great certainly but i'm more inclined to agree with you on on that like playing against elves or maverick or death and taxes like are you going to be like oh thank god i drew my teferi like what the fuck is it doing you know in those situations yeah, that's exactly my point. Like, you don't, like, there's so many decks in the format where drawing this card game one is, you know, you're going to look at it and you're just going to be like, oh, this could have been something real shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I'm definitely going to test this card. I mean, there's no question. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited to play this card, but I, I don't have the highest hopes for it that I had the first five minutes I was evaluating it. Yeah. The other thing is, like, do you really want to play a format where like people are just like playing City of Solitudes that do other things? <laughs> like like it the the thing that like magic players love or the thing that people always cite about legacy that they love is that there's like all these sweet micro interactions and like things you can do that like make enough make you know small impacts on the game that add up. And then, like, you just have a card that, like, people can just run around with in their main deck that's just like, yeah, so I'm going to play Solitaire, but also on your turn. So you don't get to play Magic, but I do. It's it's kind of one of those things of, like, you know, even when Storm goes off, there's a thought process and there's interaction and, like, there's leveling involved, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, a card like this just actually just cuts off those avenues of... Uh, of gameplay which ultimately so like, makes the game very uninteresting. so like what the fuck does a miracles mirror look like when you both have this in play whoever draws council judgment first just gets there i'm i'm not quite sure how the plus one works with the static ability i know can't usually overrules can i think i so, think it is yeah that's how i'm reading it at least so it like under that assumption it just creates a game state where like whoever draws council judgment first kind of wins or like Whoever pyroblasts the other person's safari wins, or yeah, you know, one person goes monastery mentor cast some shit, and the other person goes monastery mentor cast some shit, and then you're like staring at each other. So it's just like, again, not a not a very interesting game dynamic because you're both just like, you're you're devolving what could be an interesting game into a dick punching contest, right? You both turn into like limited decks for a minute, right? Like it's kind of just like you know, none of your cards are doing what you put them in your deck for. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't even say that's limited. It's just like a, a top deck war, basically, at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, I don't know, man. This card, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe we just never end up seeing it after three months. So, I think this is a card that a lot of people are going to be really hyped to test, and then probably it'll fall off. Um, it, it kind of feels similar to Lavinia to me, where like a lot of people are like, oh my god, this card does a lot of stuff and then you realize that a lot of the stuff that it does is completely irrelevant to the average game 
and uh, you just move on with your life. So, I don't know. If this card is good, okay, but I'm kind of hoping that it's bad because I don't think it'll lead to interesting games. But if it's, like, a reasonably playable one-of, then that's fine, I guess, but... Yeah, I, it's kind of like Leovold, right? Like, it's going to be really fun to cast it, but when your opponent has it, it's just going to be fucking hell. Yeah, it, it is like Leovold, where, like, Leovold's a card that people chronically overestimate, and then you realize that it's it's only really good in, like, blue mirrors because it solves the issue that, like, bug decks traditionally have not being able to thought seize the top of the opponent's deck. And, like... You know, in the blue mirrors, the best top decks are often Jace or Ponder or Brainstorm or, like, insert arbitrary cantrip or what have you. And Leovold cuts those off. So, like, that's why it's good in those matchups specifically. But, like, when you have Leovold against, like, a random non-blue deck, you're just like, all right, well, here's my really hard-to-cast 3-3. Please target it. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let me draw that card, daddy. <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, it's really hard to cast, but against a lot of the other non-blue decks, they're they're running a lot of things that target, and the Leovold triggers actually significantly impact a lot of the non-blue decks too. Obviously, cutting cutting off the cantrips is huge, but it's the other ability is not not really to be underestimated. Yeah, for sure. Like you know, cutting off like well, air quote cutting off Rish and Poridin, uh like flicker wisp and stuff like that glimpse chains yeah exactly it's definitely like a relevant card and i think leobold actually has more applications than teferi does whereas teferi is like very much just like this is very good against blue decks and if you get to go like functionally discard a card and then plus one it and like start pondering and stuff on your opponent's turn and then you still win the game then did Teferi really matter necessarily? Or could, like, did you win because of Teferi or did you win despite of Teferi, right? Like, could you just play some other spell that actually interacts with your opponent's game state and move on with your life from there? Yeah. And it's, it's I don't know. I, I think that we should probably move on. So do you guys want to talk about the Niagara meta or do you want to cover these, uh, these decks first? Let's cover the decks... All right. So, Lawrence, you played in the challenge uh, yesterday, right? I I did. How was that? Was it uh, was it uh, adequate follow up for the quarterly or what? Um, I five two the quarterly and got seventeenth, which felt pretty bad because I started off four zero. I went like four yeah, zero. That's brutal. That's that's unheard of bad luck right there. Yeah, I went four zero and then I lost a match, won a match, lost a match, and then I got paired down versus Tagoras. So I, like, beat a GP champion and get 17th place. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. But, like, the the X2 record went from half of the top eight down to, like, 20-something place. It was absurd. Like, the field was just, like, full of killers. It was, like, it was a fun tournament. And it was just, like, every round I was just like, oh, man, my opponent's probably the shit. Um so, like, I was happy to go 5-2. It just felt bad getting 17th place. Uh, the challenge, I went 4-3. Um, I played round two poorly, and then... I so you are playing... Mir was it Miracles or no? Yeah, I played Grixis Delver in the SCG Open, 
and my team just got like memed on the first two rounds and we went from 0-2 to 5-2 and then me and my modern player both flooded out in our matches in round eight and just like died Ugh. uh so i just like audible to miracles after not touching the deck for three months and i went x2 and then i played it in the challenge uh, after not touching it again for a week and went 4-3. Uh, I lost one match because I played poorly. One match because uh, my opponent drew better than me. And it was funny because we were in a Discord together and we were just like chatting and we got paired against each other. And we were like, oh, okay. And then he just... It, it was Tim Schultz on lands. And yeah. um, like Tim is a good player. So like I'm not mad or anything. It was just like one of those things of like, he had the time, like, prop rotations to go for combo when I didn't have swords. And, like, game two, I, like, play a counterbalance. He had, like, accidentally f 6 And then he goes for crop rotation. I brainstorm in response. He has another crop rotation. And I whiff on the blind flip, and I don't find class. I just die. And it was Ugh. like, all right, whatever happens. And then um, I can't remember what my third loss was. Uh I don't remember. I think I think my losses were mostly just, like, pretty reasonable. Either I played poorly or, like, my opponent drew fairly well and had what they needed. It wasn't too big of a deal. It was it was just like, yep. I, I only, I remember just only feeling as if I could have won one more match uh, specifically. Yeah. So this, uh, I put in the top 11 in our notes because... I wanted to note that the Tundra decks were were stacked up at 9, 10, 11. We had Blue-White Blade, Blue-White Miracles, and Blue-White Red Miracles at uh, 9, 10, and 11. And then there was no Tundras in this top 8. It was uh, Enchantress took it down with JPA, once again, second place uh, with, with his uh, Sneak and Show deck. And then we had Turbo Depths, D&T, Rug Control, Bug Control, Grixis Control, and Trinity Tell. So this is like, I, I don't want to say that it's like the evolution in the meta following the quarterly. This is more just like a smattering of decks, right? Yes and no, right? Like, if you look at the shifts in the Legacy metagame since last year, we had like Death Shadow pop up and then we had Miracles pop up as an answer for Death Shadow uh, and like AK in Miracles also helped the deck hedge against Grixis Control. And we saw a bunch of big mana decks pop up, like Eldrazi with Grim Monolith, um, which, like, kind of sent Miracles to the Shadow Realm. And then, like, because of all of those decks popping up, we saw, um, like, like, what do we see? We saw, like, Grixis Delver and stuff pop up, right? Like, these Wasteland decks. And, like, the next best answer for Grixis Delver uh was you know now that the deck isn't busted you can actually attack it was like these two color delver decks where grixis delver's wastelands don't get to convert that often and um you just get to like ignore their wastelands go bigger you actually get to resolve your true names your wastelands like kill them completely um and then also like on top of that like stoneblade is coming up because you know, true. Everybody's playing true name nemesis, and what's like the best true name nemesis deck? The one that can tutor up Gta to win the true name nemesis war. So then from there, 
we're looking at like miracles, et cetera, et cetera, uh, going over the top of the Stoneblade decks, and that's how we end up in like, you know, Turbo Depths being very good because that deck has, or I think Tagoras plays Medium Depth, which it has a pretty decent Miracles matchup, and then like, you know, we have Show like, and Tell's always been. Right, Show and Tell's good against Miracles and. Like, it's kind of this leveling game. Yeah, it really is. And Enchantress, too, is, like, the perfect deck to win this week, right? Fuck it. Let's talk about the deck dump. So, did you guys see this lame-ass moto name, uh, <laughs> Jester's Mom? Dude, I'm so... Got a list published? If I could go back in time, I would do... What dude. is this, like, 1994 AOL screen name yep, turned yep. into a moto name? You do like, you know, you, you gotta obviously you gotta stop Hitler, you gotta go back and buy our black lotuses or whatever. I would go back and do my mana traders account on any of my other moto accounts because Jester's mom is the fucking worst <laughs> name. The the only thing that could make this better if it was like Dark Jester's Mom four twenty and you alternated the capital and lowercase letters, that would be the Ugh. only thing that would make it better. Dude, it was a joke, though. Like, we, we were... Because, you know, your mom jokes are, are the shit, obviously. And there's Yo. Jester's mask, and there's Jester's cap. So it was just like, oh, Jester's mom, you know? It's, like, funny. So, I I, I don't know. I respect I got, the main deck Zealous Persecution. I, uh... I once played Ethan Gajewski Pile at, uh... Ooh. At an SCG IQ. Um, God, this deck was a meme. It was like... It was it was how I decided that Deathrite Shaman needed to be banned, right? Like... <laughs> uh, the deck list was 4 Deathrite, 4 Delver, 3 Stoneforge, 3 Knight of the Reliquary. Oh, yes. <laughs> Speaking our language. 4 Brainstorm, 2 Fatal Push, 4 Ponder. There's a main deck Zealous Persecution. The deck had like 20 main deck blue cards or whatever. I had a random life from alone in the sideboard and a Krakus. The deck was literally just like four color, please don't ban Deathrite Shaman, Maverick with Ponder. It was beautiful. Oh my god. That tournament was great. <laughs> I, I love this list, Ian, because you could play four of a lot of cards and you decide just to play one, two, or three. It's like a Yu-Gi-Oh list. This, yeah. <laughs> the two ponder is just like, that's so Stoneblade, right? It's like, ah, uh, consistency? What's that? Fuck consistency. We're going to have random haymakers that we're just going to just top deck and kill them. Who needs to smooth their draws? When you can, you can curve an Inquisition like, into a counter... I'll into his jealous person. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you're you're out here living your best life, and the two main decks search for his canta, like oh my god. Oh it's my just god. search for his canta is my favorite card. Like you know how like <laughs> Pat Chapin feels about Jason My Sculptor? Like I I heard him talk about it and like, yeah, Jace is good. He wrote whatever. a rap song about it. I've heard him rap about it, you're right, yeah. But uh, have you ever have you ever heard Pat Chapin's uh analysis of forcible as a card it's really interesting oh um, is that is that on his podcast or something or yeah it was, on one of, it? it was on a podcast years ago but he was basically just like forcible converts another blue card in your hand into cancel so forcible functionally just like is black lotus 
that converts into counterspell, like a, into a counterspell. Like he, he, of course, have described it way more interestingly, but it was just really interesting to hear that particular analysis of the card where you don't think about Force of Will as a card that makes three mana. Uh, you just think of it as like, yeah, I'm going to pitch this like pond or whatever, and then I'm not going to die to show and tell or some shit. But instead, it's like, oh, that's like a really cool way of thinking of things. Like a lot of players look at uh, new cards or random cards based on like the reference point of a card that exists, hence the whole like Diabolic Edict, Liliana's edict or whatever it's called i'm sure somebody's gonna comment and i'm not gonna care um but it, it's just cool to hear like think about cards in that way where it's like you're spending zero mana but if you look at this card in another context it's producing mana i don't know it was just something that i found really interesting i'd honestly never thought about that and i love that the black lotus analogy because yeah. it's like it's like the best card and, and also just not a good card, right? Right. How do you have zero fluster storms in your stoneblade list? Oh, I don't fuck with that shit anymore. Fluster what? storm, nah, I'm off you, it. You're just like one counterbell, three spell pairs, three swords to plowshares. Let me just toss the fourth in the sideboard. Palace yeah. jailer is good enough for me. Oh my god. All He's got two palace jailers. Oh, to, yeah. Although, to be fair, Invasive Surgery does do Inv a very good... Invasive Surgery fluster, is the fluster, fluster storm, storm I want. Yeah. This really thing is, is literally just like a midlife crisis from 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Engineered Explosives. I'm, uh, the next league I run, I'm going up to two of those fuckers because they are like the ultimate in bailout. <laughs> how, did you, how did you are find you, room are for you a second cut, Are you going to cut down to three Force of Will to make room for your two engineered explosives yeah either three force will or maybe three brainstorm i don't know i haven't decided yet <laughs> <laughs> how did you find room for a second planes did oh were, yeah. you, were you drunk when you made this deck be honest no honestly this this deck it just it comes from like the the constant iteration where you don't actually like stop and write it down you just like keep uh, changing stuff and then just yeah. like you know, wherever it is when you 5-0, that's where it was at that point in time. But really, it's just, like, a work in progress, really. Just, yeah. You know. When you're, like, constantly tuning a deck and you, like, hit the point where the deck is, like, actually fine and you don't need to change anything, but you just don't realize that and you keep tweaking your deck and then you end up with three yeah. sorts of plowshares, two Inquisition, a Kozilek, two Thoughtseize, two Lingering Souls, two Ponder. The, the two Lingering Souls is definitely not right. Like... I, it's it's so good like with search just being able to find like something like that's that's a spell right that's a creature like, I definitely i'm definitely gonna keep one of them souls. but I, it should definitely be a third true name i think yeah this deck is like a lot of interesting numbers and it's just like like three spell pierce is really interesting to me i feel like i'd rather have like a spell snare over the third one dude so, so that's actually what i ran this weekend I, I played with ryan we played against uh rug delver a lot but uh, I, I am on two Pierce, one Snare now, officially. So okay. I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's, it, how do you... You can support back to base. I guess you only have four dual lands, huh? Your mana isn't as heinous... Or five. Your mana yeah. isn't as heinous as most uh, Asperlis, huh? Yeah, really the... the So the only loss... I went 9-1 this past week with this deck. The only loss I took was to that fucking Cloud Post deck, which... 
that's like the only out that I have to that deck. But really, it's like I played against finally somebody running that uh, Strifo deck that wasn't Strifo, and uh, that's like a, a huge card that I really need there too. So I don't know. I was expecting more Grixis Control when I put it in, but it did bail me out in this particular league. So yeah, like, I'm gonna fu I'm gonna keep fucking with it a little bit. Yeah, the Strifo deck is like. I'm pretty sure only he can play competently because every time I see someone else play, they just get completely bodied. Um, it does seem that way, right? Yeah, this list is interesting. There's a lot of numbers that like make sense, but also don't make sense. It's kind of like, you know, two spell bomb over the one surgical, and I feel like the second surgical is probably relevant. But like, I, I mean, you obviously have a reason why you want spell bomb. Like, I imagine your store matchup is like pretty mediocre, so having having a way to like interact with past in flames that you can just place on the table is pretty nice exactly um, yep and and for phoenix too you know just make them I, make them spend their abrades for what it's worth i would consider a script over a spell bomb uh that card being free is like actually relevant like the difference between like you know turn one spell pierce into like turn two stoneforge plus spell bomb or torment script as opposed to like playing a spell bomb and then like playing off curve like yeah, you got your disruption in play, but you aren't getting your pressure in play. So, like, your disruption is arguably worse. Or you can, like, play your pressure, but then you don't have your disruption. So it puts you in spots where you're just, like, kind of setting yourself up to get, to get messed up. And it's super awkward, too, because if you play it out on one, it's not like you're getting the card back anyway. So you might as well just have played Crypt and had, like, Spell Pierce up or something. So I, I definitely felt that. I've actually played an incredibly interesting game against Phoenix, uh with this deck where they had uh three phoenix in play for pretty much the whole game and a liliana emblem and i ended up just winning it with a true name with a batter skull and a jet on it because they, <laughs> they don't have main deck answers and they would like you know they'd swing in for for you know whatever 20 a turn and i would i would just you know game back my 11 and take them down and you know maybe zealous or something like that i i'd plowed like one of the to the phoenixes so they were down to two and like you can just kind of just stand there throwing punches back and forth for a while it, it's kind of interesting as long as they don't have like the buried alive turn one sort of thing so I, I do understand that that logic on the crypt yeah like stoneblade's always just been a very good mid-range deck that like 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 my favorite part about playing stoneblade is like playing stoneforge mystic and then your opponent's like oh shit gotta answer this and you just like, yeah, I'm going to brainstorm away this batter skull. I just wanted you to overreact to the Stoneforge Mystic. And that's kind of how I feel like Stoneblade decks are. You like play a lot of effects that induce like very visceral reactions from your opponent. And they just overreact to the card. And then you just do something else and kill them with literally anything else. Do you not have Jace the Mind Sculptor in your deck? No, nope. fuck, fuck Jace the <laughs> He does not have Jace. I like the Palace Jailer. But, <laughs> man... If it, so if this wasn't your list and we were going through the league data, I would be like, what the fuck is this person trying to do? Make up, make up your goddamn mind and sort your shit out because there's no way this mess should end up published on the wizard's website. What about publish on, publish on Airwood maybe? We talked about this deck for like a good, <laughs> what, five to ten minutes and I just noticed that you don't have Jay's? That's not what search I mean, is my search is my Jace now. I just, you know, 
Jace was just underperforming. Like I hate to admit it, but Palace Jailer and Search for His Canta are my Jaces now. No, like, I understand it. Like, th- those are like, I don't know. Th- those are those are my life right now. Like I want to get a Search tattoo and a Monarch tattoo on on each of my shoulder blades, and I'll be ready for Niagara. So like, I understand not playing Jace because realistically, like, Red Black. I'm not. I'm not the even... best Jace deck. Is the problem honestly? What was that? I'm not the best Jace deck. Like, it's, no, the, it's the wrong fight to pick with Miracles, in my opinion. That, that's just sort of what I've learned from the, the past, like, five or six leagues or whatever, is I, I can't out-Jace them, you know? Yeah, your deck looks like a terrible Jace deck. Um, also, just, like, your deck kind of doesn't care about the card Red Elemental Blast. Or, like, it, they have to blast, like, Baleful Strix or, like, Search Rest Kanto, maybe, but, like... Your opponent's gonna be sitting on the red blast, like waiting for something better, and you're just gonna slip spells through the red blast because like... that's the key, right? And then you can just pick a spot where you Inquisition, make them hide it, get your true name in. You know, like you can just play around red blast this way. Like you don't have right. permanents sitting there for them to hit. Yeah, it actually makes sense that you don't have Jace. It's just like, I don't know, man. You it's ever... weird, man. I was going through a little bit of a phase, but I'm glad that uh. I'm glad it got captured because I had like a string of I don't know how many, mostly three twos, but some a lot of four ones that stacked up. And the last time I five owed with Rug, it didn't get published. So I was I, I was glad to get on the board finally. Oh yeah, for sure. I haven't had a list published in a while, and I have a stack of five O's with very. Dude, packs. you got you got jobbed with your six two in the quarterly, not getting published. Oh my god, seventeenth place. <laughs> Whatever, I just played Minhajul Hawk's list, um, but I swapped the Caracas to the main board to play 20 lands main deck and have since gone back to 19 lands and the 20th land in the sideboard. So, uh, Men's Sweet, he top aided SDG Columbus with his team. Uh, the list felt good. Since then, I've basically just made cosmetic tweaks here and there based on like effects that I felt that I wanted, but he put a lot of work into that list. And, uh, so, wait, I, what's, I what is the going. 20th land? He has a sideboard Caracas. Okay. Um, basically, like, the math on 19 versus 20 lands is, like, neg- negligible. But every time I've tried 19 lands, it's been when I was playing blue-white-red miracles. The wasteland was actually a factor. Whereas when you're playing blue-white miracles, you can ignore wasteland. So, like, it's not an issue. Right. Um, so that's kind of just the whole situation there. So do you still bring it in against like a like a rug delver, let's say something that's aggressively going after your mana? Do you still bring it in just to have a twentieth land? Yeah, you board it in against like you'll like swap it for the a basic planes against combo decks because you have been delaying click, but also against any random deck that may be targeting your mana, you'll board it in. Um and it's like fine. It's just, you know, sometimes the the land is better than an arbitrary spell. Yeah. And honestly, that's that's what my paper deck looks like. I think this list I might have forgotten to put Caracas in my sideboard, but it's been there every other league I played. So I totally feel that, and that's that's where I'm at right now too. So for other decks in this challenge, uh, the the one that jumped at me that that I I like the most, I think, is uh, Molar playing Bant, like Green Sun Zenith Bant. This is this is almost what you were talking about with the Deathrite Shaman, but not reaching into black at all. So if you go back to the ban, Deathrite was first banned. We had like a, in Worcester, like a, a Legacy Classic SCG that weekend, 
and I played almost the same deck with one Birds of Paradise, one Leovold, and one Abrupt Decay. But this did you is, have Green Sun? I did, yeah, two Green Suns. So this is like foregoing that though, and this this is a this is a pretty lean list, I think. I don't think that it's like uh, I don't know. Does this trigger you, Lawrence, or what? I mean, this list looks interesting. Um, <clears throat> it, it's basically just Maverick splashing blue for days and like enough force of wills to like technically not die to combo, but I don't know. Like it, the true names are cool, the Vendillion clicks are cool, but seem costly on the mana. Like, you're still playing four Leyline of the Void on the sideboard and Gagteague. Um, like, my, my question is basically just, like, is the opportunity cost of, like, playing all these blue duels worth it to get, like, Days and Forcible as opposed to just, like, playing Green-White Maverick, which... Or, like, Abzan Maverick, which seems pretty good. Like, I I lost to Abz... Or, technically, four-color Maverick in the quarterly where, like, there was one turn where I tapped out for a mentor and I expected my opponent's like my opponent Green Sun for three and I was like, Oh yeah, Knight of the Reliquary, and I'm like, whatever. My hand is like AK brainstorm, I'm good. And then they got a Leovold and I was like, Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then like the next turn they got Gaddick and then they like two turns later played a mom and I was just like, This is a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> but um like I don't know, it I, I'd really have to try this deck to get a get an evaluation of it. Like they're only playing one ponders, and then they're playing like cards like Days Enforceable, which have a very low floor, but obviously have like a high ceiling. And then like there's Jace, but it's it's just kind of a situation of like I I really can't tell if this is better than just the average uh Stoneblade deck. I guess they also have four brainstorm, which is like sweet because you got to do something to offset these dazes and forces, but I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's an interesting other, deck. Other than the excavator, this deck is literally five years old. That's like, well. So that's the thing. Did those decks play Force of Will though, Tom? Because the deck that I'm thinking they, of, they definitely did. Okay, they usually played like three Force though, right? Something like that. Three Force, three days. Maybe so. I'm... I I had seen the list playing four, and because the blue count was just barely enough to support it. Um. But Excavator is really the only new card in here. And I wouldn't I wouldn't really look too much into this list. But uh, it's interesting that those sort of Bant Blade decks are back. And I know that Landon was playing a little bit of uh, a similar version. Well, that, that was yeah, that was like a tr- more traditional, tracker. right? Yeah. Yeah, that had Tireless Tracker as well. So um, it's something to keep an eye out for. I don't... I don't think we need to keep this on our radar for Niagara, though. No, I don't think so either. It's just like another deck that beats the shit out of the Moto metagame, right? Just like a bunch of two-color Delver decks. It has, like, almost... It has four Leyline for, like, the random Reanimator decks, and it has an obnoxious enough plan to, like, be annoying to Miracles and things of that nature, so, like... Yeah, having, having Leyline of the Void... In a deck that you wouldn't normally consider to be a leyline deck, gets you a ton of equity against black red. Right. That's so, a good point. Yeah. Like, metagaming is hard in Legacy because there's always the people play what they want to play factor. Um, and like you can notice general like meta shifts, but like, you know, like we've seen a lot of like two color Delver pop up, and it's like, are these two color Delver decks necessarily good? 
Or is it because Star City Games has been aggressively pushing Blue Red Delver and Blue White Delver because like stalwarts of their tournament series have been playing those decks? And it's kind of hard to like figure out where the metagame is going to shift based on like what's actually good versus what people think is good and how like what people think is good impacts what is actually good, right? So like you know, you play this deck if you want to play like Maverick that has a slightly better combo matchup or you know, gains percentage points against combo and like has some more counterplay against the Delver decks. But like, you know, you don't want to play this deck if there's like a lot of other good wasteland decks necessarily or what have you. I guess I guess it has four noble hierarch, but like you know, this is the well, kind noble of hier- noble hierarch and green sun for Dryad Arbor. Like, but it's not coming off like there's no forest is, is the kind of the problem with this like with as a green sun deck right because you, you can't actually play around blood moon if you're on the draw or something right and like it's kind of weird it's i don't know like i'm not gonna say this deck is bad it's very interesting but it's just like hard to really figure out how this fits into the metagame and i'm inclined to chalk it up as this is a deck that somebody likes playing all right so this next deck literally the next one down on the page tamiflu with the 5 this, you can see pretty clearly where this fits in the metagame, right? This is a lot of cards we're used to seeing. Hidden Stockpile, Genesis Chamber, Grave Pact, Doretti, Ingenious Iconoclast. I'm not talking about this deck. No? No. I thought, I thought you would like this deck. Somewhere in the world, Sam Black just ejaculated and didn't know why. <laughs> I mean, this Dude, deck what is literally what the fuck just... is this deck? This deck is literally just um Zombardment. Yeah, it's Zombardment. It's Zombardment with, uh, with no Zombardment. Yeah, that's that's all it is. It's like like you know, Eric Landon 5-0'd with Soul Sisters and Legacy, right? And it's just one of those things of like, if you play enough magic, you can 5-0 with anything. And like we've all probably 5-0'd with some heinous decks or like, oops, I forgot random card and still 5-0'd or you know, my buddy Dylan Hovey, um, we were talking about sideboarding. So he like posted a picture of how he would sideboard against like Storm or something and then forgot like he actually like changed his deck in Moto and forgot to switch it back to the actual configuration before he played a league. And he five owed that league with like Grixis Delver that was pre boarded against Storm because he just like happened to hit matchups where like randomly having red blast in your deck game one was good. So like, I think Brian Brian like top sixteen to challenge that way, right? With like uh the the not the Santa hope of Gigaper yes. in the main deck. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. And it's just like one of those things of like you know, you can put stock in moto results and like all of that, but you also have to understand that like people are out here in these streets playing piles and <laughs> you know, not everything is necessarily good. So you just kinda of have to take things for what they probably are it's like this is probably a deck somebody just really felt like playing and had all the cards that they really like you know you have your Doretti, the ingenious iconoclast and you have humility and the main deck of your like grave packed and hidden stockpile deck and it's just like you know cards that sam black would love and you know you just kind of hit five dudes who have no idea what's going on or just like can't interact or like you understand the matchup better than they do you know you're playing like quad lingering souls and all these random sock outlets and ways to buy back your creatures so like a lot of decks can't answer 
view on like common angles. So it's like, okay, well, I hit Delver. Well, I have Lingering Souls and Bloodgast in my deck. Like, what are they going to do? Like, they have to wasteland me out of a game and get really aggressive, otherwise I'm going to grind them into the dust. So, you know, I wouldn't say this is a player in the, in the metagame or anything, but it's, uh, you know, it's nice to see someone living their best life. <laughs> There's a lot of cards I had to look up here, especially Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Somebody did stick that against me. I think it was a Nick Fit player. And I was just fucking panicked. Like, I was just digging for a sword so hard because I just didn't know what could happen at that point. I, I didn't I didn't really, I don't remember, it was probably late or something. I was like, I'm not going to read this card. I just know I have to deal with it. Like, I remember, I remember it from spoiler season. I know that it could potentially ruin my day. So I'm just going to, just going to deal with it and not have to read it. Isn't that just like every story of playing against Nick Fit? They just like play some card and you're just like, I don't know which like year of, EH sets that came out in, but I'm just going to make sure it doesn't stay on the board. Is there any other decks you guys want to talk about, or you want to move on to Niagara? I am good with everything else that is yeah. in this. I'm good to move on. Alright, so we brought Lawrence on the cast, obviously, for his, his divine uh, interpretation abilities of the metagame. Obviously, you've been a, a chronicler of, of the, the historical shifts of the metagame for the past, I don't know, three years or so, how, however long you've been interested in Legacy. And we've, we've all noticed, I feel like it's been a big topic of conversation the past two weeks, is that Legacy seems to be rotating around itself at this point. Like, there's, not, there's new cards that are being incorporated into decks, but they're not like you know, pushing some new archetype or something. They're just like alternative threats that maybe let you stay in two colors or, you know, maybe a good sideboard card for a certain matchup, you know, little tweaks to decks. But at this point, the format's really rotating around itself, right? Like you have decks coming in to answer the decks that won last week and such. So as we're closing in, you know, the Leaving Legacy Open is pretty much, and, and the challenges online are the only big events between now and Niagara. So where do you see the format at this point in time? Uh, there also is like a legacy 5K that NRG is putting on. but um, Is that Chicago? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I may actually go out to that, so we'll see. Oh, nice. But um, I don't know. The format's kind of weird. Like, you know, the last two, not two years, but like the last few years, we've had a very clearly dominant deck. You know, and Grixis Delver and, like, since he's finding top Ponder Miracles that, like, kind of put the format into a chokehold where there was, like, a very clear established tier list, per se, or, like, this deck was the best deck and every other deck had to have a way to attack it. So there was a lot of rigidity in terms of the format, but, like, you know, in the last four months, like I mentioned, you know, Death Shadow was good for a minute, and then, like, Miracles was good for a minute, and then, like, Miracles fell off because, like, all of this big mana popped up, and then, like, that big mana popped up because people started playing Wasteland, and then, like, people started playing Wasteland with basic lands, and that's kind of where we are now. And, um, like, Legacy is kind of rotating in a similar way to Standard, where it feels like every other week there's a different metagame that you have to kind of account for. So it's like, you know, we've seen, like, a... Grix's control list do well with Gurmagging, just like a very stock control list, and then like in the hands of Dylan Hovey. And then in the last 
challenge uh, Callum played uh, Callum Whitefaces, etc. Uh, played um, Grixis Control, but he like cut all of his Gurmag Anglers and played like two Liliana the Veil and one Liliana the Last Hope as a response to all of the like Stoneblade and Two-Color Delver. And he was just like, I'm going to grind these people into the dirt. And he top aided the challenge. Um, and it kind of feels like Legacy is responding to itself on a weekly basis, which isn't something we're necessarily used to, right? Like we're used to just like having our deck lists and going like, oh yeah, I'll just like go play Legacy next month again. And you just pick up the same deck list and it's like fine. Whereas now that isn't necessarily the case per se, because like your deck may go from being very good to obsolete, right? Like everyone is loving blue red Delver right now, but like it's not that hard to invalidate, you know, lightning bolts and X ones, you know, if like a bunch of people start playing zealous persecution, a lot of the Delver decks in the format become kind of unplayable because you have cards like Dark Confidant and uh, Young Pyromancer and True Name and like all of these X ones that just get eaten alive by minus one minus one effects. Um, so I don't know. It's I don't know. Legacy is kind of weird right now. It's it's very odd to have to keep up with a shifting metagame, you know. Um, and I think for some players that's interesting. Uh, it gets kind of tiring at a point. And then for other players, it's like, you know, you don't want to actually have to do all that legwork, right? You want to you wanna just have your deck that you can pick up and play and be good and, like, have fun. But it's not necessarily enjoyable if, like, you know, you show up to your, you know, 1K or whatever and your deck got invalidated because somebody did well with something similar in a challenge two weeks ago and people decided to adjust for it. Yeah, well, that's the problem, right, is that any deck is is only as good as the perception because if you're good enough to get a target on you you're actually just screwed so i think that the best question you put out on uh on facebook and twitter for questions for this cast which we appreciate and uh pat pat i'm not sure how to pronounce this patrick uglo uh <laughs> what what brings you the most equity and legacy chasing the best deck and playing that or continuously grinding with your preferred deck. What do you suggest others do in this regard? And well, I, think I just want to I just want to preface why Pat asked this question. He is a huge lover of Lab Maniac decks <laughs> in all formats, and he's really trying to make Lab Maniac work in Legacy. So this question is really talking about how much he loves Lab Maniac. Yeah, I'll answer, you know, Adrian's question uh, with regards to tin cans. <laughs> uh, you know, you just, you know, sometimes you got to let it go, buddy. You just got to gotta move on with your life. <laughs> just getting those old school, leaving a legacy jacket. You got to get out of that bathroom you're trapped in. <laughs> yeah, but to answer Pat's question, it's like, there's always that constant battle, right? do I play a deck that I think is metagame well for this weekend in Legacy, or do I play what I know, right? Because, like, <clears throat> how many people in, you know, say you show up to GT Niagara, how many people are realistically going to play Blue Red Delver, like Blue White Stoneblade, as opposed to, this is the deck I like to play, and this is the deck I always get, want to play, right? Like, think of every Legacy tournament you've played, and, like, outside of SCG tournaments where the format is often warped because, like, you know, somebody will go, X deck is really good right now, and a lot of people write articles about it. 
So you have a bunch of grinders who don't want to put in 30,000 hours into Legacy. Just go, oh yeah, I'm just going to play Blue Red Delver because somebody told me it was really good. So like you you get like a, a metagame that's like inbred and warped, less so because of like a deck being particularly good, but because of people who don't necessarily like play the format a bunch, just wanting to have a deck that is procedurally better, just like is something they can pick on and play. And that was like the situation with Grix Control or like, you know, in team formats we saw lands do well. And it was like, well, is lands the best deck in Legacy? No. Is the team format set up in such a way that you can pick a deck and just go, all right, my my legacy seed is going to win 70% like of their their matches. They're gonna lose to every combo deck, they're gonna lose to a couple fair decks, but they're gonna win like every other match, right? And that's just something you can bank on, which is like great in the team format, because then at that point it puts less stress on like your other seats to do as well, and you can get carried by like your standard seat or and your legacy seat or what have you. And uh I don't know, you just kinda kinda go from there and it's just like awkward to figure it out. Do I play the deck I know or do I play the deck that I think is good this week? And I think uh it often kind of leans toward playing the deck that you know better because like when like the soft meta shifts and legacy kind of only really affect magic online right like the whole situation of like these two color waste decks and etc cetera, et cetera. like that's only really a thing that's going to affect magic online but the um actual hard shifts in the metagame where like decks are getting pushed out that only really happens when there's like a busted deck. That only happens when there's a Miracles or a Grixis Delver or, you know, Blue Black Reanimator with Mystical Tutor or what have you, Flash Hulk, where it's just like this deck is so undeniably good that literally everyone knows it's good. But if there's a question as to what the best deck is, there probably isn't a best deck in Legacy. So, do. Oh, I was about to say, so. Do you think that the two-color Delver decks, with their mana bases the way they are, are really just the place to be at Niagara? Or do you think that that's just a product of what of what is happening on Moda? Um, I think the blue-white Delver deck is actually just kind of trash. Um, there is the build that plays Nibmagus Elemental and Flusterstorm, and I've watched Bob Huang and, like, you know, Stream with Anurag, Doss, and uh, 5-0 with it. I haven't tried the deck it's myself, but I have tried the list with Jace's. And what I found is, like, like I'm fine with Disenergy, right? Like, if you sort of plowshares your opponent's Merit Lage, then you aren't dying to a Merit Lage, and it's very common that, like, they had to invest four to five cards or whatever into making that one card. So it doesn't matter that you gain them 20 life because you still have, like, your board state while they don't, so you can usually kill them before they assemble another combo or what have you. Um, and I'm fine with, like, some decks playing Daze and Jace, but when you have, like, a deck that plays... That start basic bases like Delver of Secrets, which wants like kind of more aggressive gameplay. And then it has Stoneforge Mystic, which is like more of a mid-range card. And it has like True Name Nemesis and Snapcast Mage. And it has all these cards that are like very mana intensive or like virtual three and four drops. Uh, and then you have Jace the Mind Sculptor and then you have Daze in your deck. You just end up in situations where your opponent casts a spell, you have to daze, and you're just like set behind on your game plan for three turns and you just eventually die because your deck 
doesn't really recoup that that lost ground uh, as fast as it necessarily needs to. Like that was part of why I started Dark Confound and Grace Delver, uh, because I just wanted a thing that I could play on turn two that was actually a three drop or a two drop. Sorry, uh, because. Like Young Pyromancer is secretly a three drop, and True Name's obviously a three drop, and like stuff like that. So, you know, the Blue Eye Delver deck has like, you know, one one axis of disenergy is fine, but like multiple, you start getting into a point where like the deck just starts imploding, and you run into this issue where like, you know, Blue Eye Stoneblade is a good mid range deck, or like Blue Eye Dex Stoneblade, they're good mid range decks, but they don't actually play a control game necessarily as well as like something like Miracles. And the blue-white Delver deck is the same issue. It's like it's trying to play a tempo game, but it can't play that tempo game as well as like a blue-red Delver or like a a Grixis Delver. But it can't also just like can't play a good enough control game as like blue-white Stoneblade or you know Miracles. So you're in this awkward spot of just like hoping that something comes together that kills your opponent, and it's 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 not as good. It's is in my opinion. Yeah, I think there are definitely differences between the builds that are trying to play a more tempo game with Niv Magus and Flusterstorm and the two days build that um uh that Harlan had been playing. So I just I I think that in a meta like we're going into, I feel like those two color mana bases are gonna be gonna be really important. Do you see I that, still like blue white. Do you see that tweet that was like the support group for people who got Harland at SCG Syracuse? It was like Kevin Jones, I think, started it. Yeah. It was like, did did, saw, did did this man talk you into playing like, days in your Jace like, deck? Man, <laughs> if you're if you if if you're looking at your deck list and you're like, all right, main deck, four Delver Secrets, sideboard, Supreme Verdict. Just <laughs> just just pause for a second. Like, just just take a deep breath. You don't need to go down this route. It's okay. You can you can do other things with your life. I actually like texted Kevin Jones when I saw that. And I was like, dude, Kevin, I would have given you I would have given you something to play that wasn't the <laughs> Supreme Verdict Delver Secrets deck. Like, <laughs> like I remember Dylan. Uh, we have like a group chat <clears throat> about Grixis Delver because like he wanted to get into Legacy but hasn't played much. So I was like teaching him a bunch about Legacy, and like at one point he just like randomly messaged the chat and he's just like. I'm playing a Delver Mirror, and my opponent flipped a Delver of Secrets off a of Supreme Verdict. What the hell is going on anymore? It was just great. So yeah, back to back to Pat's question, I guess is there's this middle ground that exists, right, where you can play your deck, you know, like know you're locked into let's say blue red, and maybe you can reach into like a Grixis deck, sort of like you were talking about before, like the full four Volk Grixis deck or something like that, but you're basically in your your archetype soundly. But if you understand what's going on with the metagame at a given moment, you understand the, you know these cards, this this main deck of braid or this sideboard fork bowl or this electric you know electricery or what what have you. You understand as the meta shifting what's what's rising and falling, which which of these cards are going to be better or worse so you can sort of adjust your deck to have the best chance you can have in a given metagame and sort of get the best of both worlds in this regard maybe it's sort of a cop-out answer but i think that that's that might be the best way no i get you there's also just like the factor of like 
you know, a lot of people will go to MTG Goldfish and see like metagame breakdown, right? And people will look at it as like, these are the decks that are good. But in reality, it's like, these are the decks that are being played the most. So there's a big difference between like the decks that are, air quotes, good and the decks that are, you know, prevalent. And it's up to you to figure out which decks are actually good. Like, you know, if you look at something like Grixis Control and like, you know, looking to the top uh, eight decks are like Grixis Control, Death Attack, Blue Red Delver, Miracles, Sneak and Show, Grixis Delver, uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, and like Red Black Reader, right? If you look at like Grixis Control, what decks in the top eight decks does it have a good matchup against? What decks does it have a bad matchup against? And then you start going down the list and you start seeing more and more decks. And it's like, you have to kind of weigh like what decks you expect to see versus like what decks you're actually against. And, you know, if you start finding, oh, well, this is a bad matchup and that's a bad matchup, then maybe maybe it's time to move off of the deck that you you like best or know the best because sometimes it's not, you know, the best choice for that tournament. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, Legacy is like a very deep format, right? Like maybe you have a game plan for insert arbitrary matchup where like everyone else is playing it wrong and you found a way to play the matchup that wins that that wins for you um so so it's kind of just a matter of like how much do you trust yourself how well do you feel prepared with your deck do you feel as if you can pick up another deck and kind of pivot into this other axis and like do you think the equity of switching a deck is more so than like your three or four years with you know the deck you've been playing and like for some players it's a lot easier to just pivot from deck to deck to deck and for other players it's like no you know you're the food chain guy play food chain like you know your matchups and you know you just accept that like you may not do that great on average but you're gonna have those tournaments where you you do fairly well or do like above average because you know who the hell knows how to play against food chain that kind of situation, you know, you may hit the string of people who have no idea what you're doing or no, have no idea how to interact with you or, like, go, like, oh, this deck still exists after Death Rate Shaman? Like, Trinket Mage for Relic Regenitus? Like, what the hell is going on? That kind of situation, so. Yeah, um, and I think <clears throat> I, I've kind of been on this kick, like, nobody knows shit, really, and and Strifo winning the, uh, the quarterly kind of, you know, lended more credence to that idea in my head, which is, like, nobody's working on that deck right like i mean he's he's obviously a master of the deck and I, I i think that he's probably made a lot of good decisions with his deck building but it's not like the the two years ago where there's literally hundreds of people pounding on grixis delver to get the perfect 60 right like he's he's just adapting to what he sees and and putting this deck together and bang you know you win the probably the toughest tournament we're gonna see so like nothing is set in stone you know what i mean nobody nobody knows shit anymore because nobody's putting in that much time unless it's with a specific deck really right i agree it's very much a situation where like you know strifo knows his deck well he knows you know his deck is weird it's not a deck that a lot of people are playing all the people you play that aren't him on the deck like you just kind of like run through them like it's 
it's a deck that's well positioned because it, it kind of attacks the metagame at an angle where like people aren't expecting it and they don't exactly know how to sideboard so it's kind of the common you know i'm playing you know like entrench just won the 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 last legacy challenge and it's a situation where it's like how many people actually have a have sat down and thought about their Enchantress matchup and like how they're going to sideboard and how they're going to approach the matchup. Probably very few people, right? So like, it's one of those situations of like, if you have your deck that you know how to attack the format with, but people don't know how to attack you, you're going to gain an edge. Um, but if you have a deck you like that's like necessarily common, you may have to work a little harder to to really gain a similar edge to attack the format, but just having that format knowledge and uh, having matchup knowledge and, you know, putting in the reps is going to be better. So, like, for someone like Pat, right? Like, Pat loves Blue-Red Delver. He's played it. He played it through Deathrite Shaman, and he's playing it now, and it sounds like he's kind of in that spot of, like, should I switch to Grixstone? Should I switch to something else? Because other people are saying these decks are better or what have you. And it's like, no, no, Pat, just keep playing Blue Red Delver. You've played it forever. It's your brand. Like, you know what you're doing with the deck. Every time you play the deck, you, like, do reasonably well. Don't feel the need to, like, switch to another deck out of just, like, you know, arbitrary pressure from the metagame or whatever. Uh, if you want to switch decks, play it. Play something else because you find them fun. But I think, you know, Pat is supposed to play a Legacy Tournament tomorrow. And I could hand him like Grix Delver seventy five that like event like in seventy something percent win percentage with. I would still just tell him to play Blue Delver. Yeah, I think it's worth noting too that I went to Grand Prix Las Vegas with Pat and he day twoed the Star City uh, in Worcester. A couple, uh, I don't know, about a year ago he day twoed that. He's he's really done really pretty well with Blue Red Delver. You know, I think he kind of undersells himself sometimes actually because. Like he didn't even show up for one of those day twos, I believe, and one of them he he uh, played like one round and dropped, I believe. Like he's actually he's actually doing really well with the deck, and I think uh, I I would certainly advise him to stay on it. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just one of those things of like, you know, what's your range as a player? Do you think you can actually switch and all that? And sometimes it's just better to like be objective about you know your skill set and. But if you're, if you're like Strifo, like and you know that deck and you know all your matchups, like as the meta shifts, you're gonna know which sideboard cards you want. You're gonna know how, exactly how to sideboard. And everybody else is adjusting to the meta, and their sideboard plan for you is gonna be fucking mush by the time you actually get to to face off against them. You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I like that answer. Yeah. So any other? What's the what's the next best question of these? Let's see. Oh God, there's. We have a stack of questions. I can, like, rapid-fire off answers if you want me to. All right, here we go. If you had to choose to only play one format for the rest of your life, I, I don't know, in this scenario, are you are you locked in a room, like, playing 24-7 or what? I don't know. But... No, this is my buddy Rob Meadows. Um, <clears throat> I think what he means is, like, basically, if you had to pick an era of Legacy where, like, the format will never rotate or never be banned, which one would you pick? Oh, okay. Uh, the answer for me is uh, since he's dividing top legacy uh, right before the ban, I actually really enjoyed that format. Um, like the the constant shifting of legacy now is like enjoyable for some players. For me, I find it like cool but tiresome. Uh, 
it, it is interesting to like have to like learn and flex the skills of like keeping up with a metagame but also predicting it but after a while you kind of want to break it and i liked the fact that that format was very rigid in terms of like what decks you knew were very good or like you knew miracles was good and every deck had to have a plan for miracles so you could go from there um which i get that like not everybody liked that format and like most people hated it a lot uh but that was just my perspective of it like you know i i was fine playing miracles mirrors all day so that's just me i don't necessarily think that top needs to be unbanned uh but i did enjoy that format i did once dig through time was banned right because that oh, was fuck miserable. dig through time that card won yeah. me so much money but i hated every moment of it that was the only legacy meta that i really truly was like i don't want to play legacy tonight playing omni fucking dig shit oh my god when they like would oh man i i remember playing a match where my opponent goes like eot dig through time i'm like well i can't really counter that because i need to answer their their show and tell but you know i you know i'm still gonna i'm basically just like yeah i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose this game and then they like untap and then they go dig through time again and then they dig through time again it's just like oh my god please kill me just just end it just just end it I remember my strategy was like pray they had an Emrakul in their hand so that I could get rid of their graveyard to keep them off dig for a couple turns, and that's just like such a such a like a mockery of the format at that point. Yeah, and then and then the like sideboard young pyromancer plan where you like had to respect it, but it was just it was like a two of that they could consistently find because the deck was just nothing but cantrips and dig through times, but like you were just diluting your deck to a degree that was like kind of egregious and you were just like dying because of the inherent uh inconsistencies that you were seeding into your list it's just ugh. yeah i really i like that answer i think that answer is fine i think that the uh the post-top answer would be fine as well and i i'm fine with where we are too like i i don't i'm not ready to say that the death rate ban made the format better i think that the probe ban made the format better but uh you know i i do i do think that there's a certain number of non-games now but you know yeah there are fewer non-games but from like a very biased opinion uh i like formats where there is a best deck where there is like a sense of structure and legacy has been very free-flowing right now uh which you know like, I think the format's cool, you can play a lot of, like, random decks, you can kind of do whatever you want, which is great. Uh, but at a certain point, I kind of want, you know, some sense of structure. But the issue is, like, when there's a best deck in Legacy, like, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, Blue Red Delver's the best deck, the other deck is the best deck. And it's like, well, you'll know when there's a best deck in Legacy when you are supposed to sign up for a tournament and someone's just like, why aren't you playing this deck? Because it defeats everything. And that's how it was with Grixis Delver and that's how it was with Top Miracles and that's how it was with, you know, Mystical Teachings or Mystical Tutor Reanimator. And, um, like, those formats can get stale. So it, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword kind of situation. Do you want an open format where everything's shifting or do you want a more rigid format that, like, might get a little boring so <clears throat> there are pros and cons to each side yeah so all right let's let's end it with this one adam wallace how does the dead format get the smartest best looking guess i don't know random dudes up 
going, this guy should do more uh, podcasts on Twitter. <laughs> we we have a lot of alts. Like I, I have uh, I have at least like five socks on Twitter that just uh, plant messages in, in Lawrence's brain. You know, subtle subtle little uh, here and there, sort of leading him towards us. But yeah, yeah, uh, I think what's up? Yeah, there were a couple of questions that I kind of wanted to quickly touch on. Oh yeah, go for it. Uh, Steve Sidemore said critical thoughts on Terramander, most specifically in blue red Dover shells. Um, Terramander's an okay card. It's more akin to Gurmag Angler than it is Delver Secrets. Uh, the card's kind of terrible in the early game, but better in the late game. Um, I think Light Up the Stage is a pretty terrible card, um, which, like, Steve's a friend of mine, so if he wants to hit me up or, like, get me to explain it via text in the Leaving a Legacy group or whatever, I can do that. What else was there? Jeremy Tibbetts asked the evolution of Phoenix and where we'll go next. I'm pretty sure Callum did a podcast with Everyday Eternal where... Uh, I, I'm sure he covered that, uh, so I would just go over there and listen to that. Uh, Parker Fam said, what deck are people playing that isn't good? My general answer to that has been Grixis Control, but that deck actually seems like it's been kind of decent recently. Uh, but my issues with that deck are less um, where it sits in the metagame and more just a construction standpoint. The deck is a stack of discard and disruption, uh, but it doesn't have the cards to clock the opponent so it's like a jund deck if you remove tarmogoyf and like scavengers and anything that can attack for any relevant amount of damage so like you're ultimately at some point sweating the top of your opponent's deck and you can just randomly die if they draw something good which is my issue um maybe there's a way to build grix control in such a way that mitigates that uh, i haven't really put too much time into it um i think maybe like splashing green for tarmogoyf at least in the sideboard for certain matchups could be very good. I know, like, Checkpile at one point, multiple points of, has run Tarmogoyf for, like, Moon Stompy and various other matchups, and I've heard very good things. So uh, I guess there's that. Um, we already discussed meta moving into Niagara. It's, like, you know, general legacy meta where, like, 60 to 70% of the format is going to be people playing the decks they like and then, you know, a subset of the format will be playing whatever inbred pile they built on Moto because they play on Magic Online and their viewpoint of the format is skewed based on how fast Moto shifts and, you know, things like that. Uh, Colby Lyons says, how does land, how is lands looking uh, with the way the meta is moving? Um, it's like, okay. I don't think the deck is that great. It's just like very okay. It's it's hard to really uh, push for lands being good in a format where more and more people seem to be running basic basics and like Blood Moon and back to basics. And like, it, you know, lands was very good when people didn't really know what the deck was doing and were playing a bunch of non basics and were just getting like, you know, destroyed for free. But now more and more people have an idea of how to play against the deck and are making metagame calls for other decks and like Lance is getting a lot of splash damage. And then uh what were you saying? I was just gonna say it's kinda weird though, because every time I start a game against Lance now, I'm always surprised to see it. Like I don't expect to see it like I always have in the past few metas. Where like you feel like it should be better right now because it's getting ignored. But it is like a lot of splash damage, I guess, uh, coming off of stuff like Phoenix and just just the the basic war that you were talking about 
where I keep predicting that Lance is going to be good and it just hasn't delivered. Yeah, it's just one of those things of like, you know, I played against Lance with Delver and every time it's just like, all right, well, if I get to True Name Nana, you're probably dead. If I don't get to True Name Nana, I can probably get to Gurmag Angler and they'll just like kill you. So it's just kind of this matter of like people actually understand how the deck functions now and uh, they're able to reasonably aggro it out. Um, ben Sims does this card go into Nickfit, uh, which kind of leads into a whole other rant where like the biggest issue with Nickfit is the players itself and their insistence <laughs> on no like that isn't meant necessarily as like a dagger, but like. The biggest issue with Nick Fit is that the players tend to like be more in the like Timmy category of the magic player like lithographics, I think is the term. Um the Johnny Timmy Spike or what have you. And the issue is they tend to go for like bigger, flashier, inconsistent cards as opposed to just building a consistent deck that can just do the same thing if you solitaire it. Uh and it's kind of just turned the deck into a meme of like you know, this inconsistent pile that's trying to cast seven drops and random effects. I think it'll be interesting with this new set, like what the what the best arena rector package becomes, right? Like there there could there could potentially be like uh you know, an improvement in the in the best version of the deck that no one actually plays. I don't even like Arena Rector. Um no, the issue is like so like part of the thing that makes Nick fit playable is the fact that it sidesteps a lot of the hate cards in the format because you're playing like a bunch of big stuff that goes over the top of your opponent or what have you. You're like playing just like green cards and people aren't playing hate for green cards. But when you're playing Arena Rector, you open yourself up to like Surgical Extraction being a good card against you and everybody's playing Surgical Extraction. So like instead of someone going to like sideboarding and going, all right, well, I just don't have anything for this Nick Fit deck you're basically playing the game of, like, I hope my opponent doesn't realize that they can surgical my rector with the trigger on the stack and just completely fizzle its ability. And I don't think that's necessarily a spot you want to be in deck building. Um, and then the last question I wanted to cover was Rich Spoonholes. Uh, he said the best position Chalice deck heading to GP Waterfalls. Um, I thought about this, and... My initial thought was, like, I don't like any of the Chalice decks, and then I was like, maybe Sylvan Plug is pretty sweet, but I haven't played with or against that deck enough to really have a clear evaluation of where it stands. Um, but from there, I kind of like Moon Stompy. Like, it's, it's, it's awkward because, as we've been discussing, there's been a lot of basic lands in Legacy. So, like... Not only have there's been a lot of basic lands, there's been a lot of basic lands paired with two and three CMC threats. So, like, the decks that these Chalice decks tend to capitalize on aren't this prevalent anymore. Or they've taken a form that, like, just naturally avoids Chalice of the Void as a card. Uh, you know, it's hard to beat Stoneblade when they just go, like, basic land, basic land, Stoneforge Mystic Wasteland you. And... Um, I don't think Eldrazi is good for that reason, or, like, the Eldrazi post-deck is, you know, it's it's not a good deck to be playing when there's a lot of wastelands floating around, and, like, it's okay against the back-to-basics decks, because you can just play the game of, like, doing nothing until you 
find an Ulamog and just cast the, the back basics and kill them. But Wasteland seems to be popping up a lot more. I don't like that deck in that metagame. And the aggro Drazi deck, I don't think it's actually that good against the Delver decks. Uh, because the matchup often comes down to, like, did the Delver deck get wait get um, Chalice avoided? If yes, then, like, maybe Eldrazi wins. If no, then the Delver deck probably just plays a one-mana threat and just, like, wastelands you a few times, or, like, you're weak against Days or what have you. So, like, when Delver is common, I think, you know, a competent pilot is going to have an overall, like, very high win rate against the Eldrazi aggro deck which leaves basically Moon Stompy, uh, which Blood Moon itself as a card isn't necessarily that insane. But the caveat to that is you're playing eight Goblin effects. So even when Blood Moon itself isn't necessarily good, your opponent's still just going to die to your aggressive draws. And, you know, you can catch even decks with a lot of basic lands slipping uh, if they just have a fetch land or two in hand when you play your turn one blood moon so the tldr is like moon stompy slash sylvan plug could potentially be the way to go in terms of uh the chalice of the void decks um i'm not sure which one is better that's up to you to test and kind of solve for yourself yeah i like that answer i think uh maybe maybe leger you can travel to france and uh find out how good sylvan plug is but I would probably be on Stompy because I have, you know, no experience with plug and it would just be purely hypothetical. Yeah, I know uh, Matsula was playing um, Sylvan Plug and he's known for usually playing Aggro Loam or Death Attacks or general arbitrary deck that doesn't play Brainstorm and is, is miserable for Brainstorm decks to play against. Uh, but I, I don't know. That guy just, like, drops off the face of Earth every once in a while and then comes back and just wrecks the leaderboard and then disappears. Is that the official pronunciation of his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, like, randomly was in GP Vegas a couple years back, and I got dinner with him, and I asked him how to pronounce the name. Oh, that's, nice. Uh, that's what he told me. He could have been trolling I've, me. I could see... I've heard everything, that. man. I've heard everything. Yeah, Matsule, Matsule, Matsule. Yeah. Matsol. Matsol, yeah, is a good one. But uh he told me Matsula, that's what I refer to him as, but uh you know. Matt's I could definitely see Matt's trolling me with that one, but <laughs> you know, whatever. Alright, so we're gonna wrap. So where can people get in touch with you if they wanna request another episode when fuck like next week when <laughs> the, they get sick of ian and i the quarter quell <laughs> um twitter i guess twitter is kind of what i check the most uh it's just my name lauren Norman. um i i do technically mod the leaving a legacy page uh, <laughs> but the page is like very much tame so i don't necessarily uh yeah other than that like mostly twitter Facebook, I kind of just use for Messenger and group chats and uh, making sure people aren't getting too gully on the Leaving a Legacy page. Are you still streaming at all? uh, I haven't been streaming that much lately. I plan to kick back up on that. Uh, On Twitch, I'm the Delicious Waffles. Uh, Yeah, the story behind that name is really dumb, but... uh, 
yeah, that's that's where you can find me. I feel like it needs no more explanation. I understood it fine. Just delicious waffles, bro. Yeah, I. But it but it's the delicious waffles, so it implies that like uh, not all waffles are delicious. I I don't know. It was like three a.m. I was making a cockatrice account, and I was like, dude, waffles sound delicious right now, and I made that my screen name. It it's actually that dumb. Well, coming from Jester's mom, I I totally feel I feel you, bro. Yeah, it's it's like one of those screen names that people know you for, and you're just like, damn, this is my brand now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, where where can people find you if they wanna if they wanna learn more about the Mythic Invitational? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at tsmileymtg. You can find most of the Mythic Invitational talk edited out of this podcast. <laughs> Along with Ian's reference that we shall not talk about right now. And you can follow the cast at Dead Format Cast on Twitter. Dead Format Cast at gmail.com. Alright, that's a wrap, fellas.